your boy DM3, and you're listening to Pandemonium with Mike Lindsley on the Buffalo Bills, exclusively on the Built to Buffalo Podcast Network. Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. I'm Mike Lindsley. Pandemonium is the show, and let's bring in none other than Sal Capaccio, WGR 550. You can get him on Twitter as well, the Bill Sideline Reporter, an insider, a host, really a, a jack of all trades for that great radio station out in Western New York. Sal, it's great to have you back, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. All right, let's let's start with obviously the Bills had a splashy off season so far. We still have the draft to come. We'll get into that in a second. But if, if the Bills are to get over the hurdle and, and to win a Super Bowl this upcoming year, what move do you think will influence it the most non-Von Miller? Oh, that's a good question because I was so ready to say Von Miller, of course. Right? It's an easy answer. Um, I think it's the interior of the D-line, the guys next to Von Miller. I think it's the uh, additions of Daquan Jones and Tim Settle together. Now, they lost you know, Harrison Phillips, of course, but uh, I think it's really – the Bills, they were susceptible against the run at times last year. Now, overall, big picture, they, they finished okay. But you remember that game against Indy where Indy just controlled the game on the ground. You remember that game against mm-hmm. New England, the long run that you know hurt them in the in the game in Buffalo. You know, Otherwise, the Bills did a pretty good job. But there were times last year where, really the last few years, where the run defense just wasn't what it's supposed to be. And the way that this defense works, Mike, is if, if those guys aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, it's tough on the linebackers. The linebackers need those guys to do what they're doing to be able to be able to use their athleticism and flow. And, you know, I, I think those, those two moves together in concert are going to have a really big impact and they have to, they have to for this team to ultimately get to the next step. How do you see the, the formations when you take, you know, the, the, I guess the 11 personnel and using a ton of the slot, the two tight end might be a thing now, right? Because of the blocking scheme and you bring in OJ Howard uh, but you you have Jamison Crowder coming in too, and you bring back McKenzie, right? And Dawson Knox had a breakout year last year. H- how do you see those two things balancing uh, against each other? The two tight end set possibly used more often, and and that slot game that the Bills love as well. I think Kent Dorsey is going to run more two tight ends. I think they're going to do more twelve personnel. I mean, you know, there's been some indications on that, just some kind of tea leaves when you hear Brandon Bean talk and you know, Sean McDermott talk a little bit. You know, since the off season ended. But then let's let's take a look at the moves. Actually, I mean they they signed OJ Howard to a three and a half million dollar contract. That's not peanuts. Now that's not extravagant. It's enough to say they're going to use him. Not so much to say he has to be like the number one tight end. Of course, that's Dawson Knox. We know that. I mean they clearly targeted him. And in lieu of that, they did not bring in like another outside wide receiver. They brought in Jamison Crowder to play in the slot to complement and go along with Isaiah McKenzie, who kind of slides back into what his role was last year. So I'm looking and thinking, okay, we well have Diggs and you have Davis on the outside. Who's after that? I mean, you'd have to really rely on either a Marquez Stevenson or Isaiah Hodgins to kind of step up. So I think what you're looking at is probably them shifting a little bit more to the two tight end set, which is why I think the, they've made the moves here to say, you know what? It's not as important to get that third receiver outside. It's more important to get that second re- second tight end where we can use him. So sure, are they going to still run a lot of 11? Are they going to spread the field? Of course, they have Josh Allen. That's what they're going to do. But I think you're going to see a lot of that. And don't discount Duke Johnson, too. You know, they went after J.D. McKissick. He, they thought he, they signed him. Then he went back to Washington. And then they get Duke Johnson. They're the same player, right? They're a guy that catches the ball out of the backfield. So I think you're looking at a little bit more of the tight end usage, a little bit more of throwing to the backs out of the backfield as well. How good can the offensive line be this year? 
I think they could be really good if, um, you know, they tap in, if Aaron, Aaron Cromer can tap into, you know, what he's capable of. He's a really good coach, a lot of high marks. Eric Wood speaks very, very highly of him. I uh, still wonder about the depth. I think their starting five can be real good, I guess. You know, I think we know what that starting five looks like on paper right now. You know, Dawkins and Spencer Brown at left and right tackle, Mitch Morse in the center, Roger Saffold and Ryan Bates at guard. Um, that looks like what it, on paper at least, you know, but who knows? Ryan Bates isn't guaranteed to start. They did sign him to that contract that they matched from the Bears. He's going to be getting about $4 million a year. So that's pretty much starter money. But at worst, he becomes an expensive backup who can play five positions. There's nothing wrong with that either. Um, Cody Ford, I'd like to see him, you know, be able to finally in his year four do something more than what he's been able to do. He's just, he has not lived up to where they drafted him at all. But I think this is where Aaron Cromer comes in. Aaron Cromer might be able to tap into something there. Ike Butker coming back from the injury, he's not going to be ready. So you look at the depth and you think, you know, beyond the five, who do they really have? Uh, you hope Tommy Doyle takes a step up. So I think they have to add to that spot. I think they can be good, but it might depend on them, you know, making sure that they're healthy as well to, to remain like that. Sal Capaccio, our guest here on the Pandemonium podcast on the Built in Buffalo podcast network at Sal Sports on Twitter, the terrific Bills beat man and sideline reporter. He also hosts the Extra Point Show on WGR 550, 10A to 12P. Make sure you catch that uh, where your streaming services are available. Um, Von Miller. Now let's nail a little Von Miller here. Um, <laughs> I was stunned that they got him. Um, I think, you know, we had heard whispers that veterans had behind the curtain, right, reached out to the Bills and, you know, had inquired about joining the team, their agents, whatever the case may be. Uh, but I never thought Von Miller would end up being, even if he inquired, a Buffalo Bill just because of the way the cap was and all that. We know Brandon Bean's a shark and he worked it out. Um, can you take me through your timeline of following the Von Miller story and were you floored when he signed with the Bills? I would say this actually goes back, not Von Miller specifically, but this type of pursuit has gone back a few years. The Bills have really tried to find that guy, Mike, right? Like a guy yeah. who every team has to game plan for when you play him off the edge. Whether that's, you know, bringing in Mario Addison and Quentin Jefferson, especially Addison, obviously outside, but, you know, different guys in the D-line. Jerry Hughes and extending him and, you know, keep running it back with him. And then, of course, drafting Greg Rousseau. Drafting AJ Epinesa the year before that, Gra drafting Greg Rousseau, piggybacking that with Boogie Basham. Like, where is the guy? They got to find a guy, a guy who everybody has to account for on every play. And I think that's the big thing, which is they finally said, we're going to do it. We, we just have to do it. Whatever it takes, we got to do it. And if that means we have to spend, we're going to do it. Now, I think it was always in the back of all our heads that Bills would try to do something like that. But you look at the market, and you're like, okay, who's out there? How much do they cost? They don't have a lot of money. Chandler Jones was the guy that we all kind of were thinking about a lot. He could be there. Of course, you know, he um, he went to Syracuse. He's from the Rochester area originally. That kind of seemed like a fit. Um, even at his age, oh, that just seemed like he's been very productive. Maybe that's the guy. Trading for Daniil Hunter was always something that was there. Minnesota Vikings, he's still got time left in his contract. He had a good price. Yeah, you have to give up some premium assets for him, but that would be a, a nice feather. So I think when it ultimately was announced Von Miller, for me it was, wow, like they got Von Miller. That's not the guy I would have seen him getting. But also, yeah, I knew they were trying to do something big. I mean, like, like they've always kind of had it where they were going to do that. So I think from that standpoint, it wasn't as shocking. When you heard Von Miller talk then, we went, I went to the press conference, and he talked about leaving L.A. and who wouldn't want to play with Aaron Donald? Who wouldn't want to play opposite, you know, Leonard Floyd and having the group that they had and how, how tough it was and how much they recruited him and just kept staying on him and staying on him to stay in L.A.? And he chose Buffalo. I think that was the biggest thing where when you realized really – 
that they didn't want him to leave L.A. He didn't want to leave L.A., but he ultimately still did to chose Buffalo. That, to me, was the more shocking part of it. It wasn't like L.A. said, hey, thanks for the Super Bowl. Good luck finding your next team because we can't afford you. They wanted him back, and they tried to get him back, and Sean McVay called him like three times that day. That was the big thing that shocked me. Are we already at the the kind of the Patrick Mahomes? I, I know he won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP, 50 touchdown season, 5,000 yard, uh, you know, 5,000 yard season, you know, early in his career. It was like, how much better can he get? How much are we at that point already with Josh Allen as well? Yeah, I think so. Wow. Um, I think really, I, I think that um, it's just people <laughs> wondering what the numbers can be, where can they go? And I think a lot of it stems from being, you know, a creature of the moment, which what happened against Patrick Mahomes in that title game. And I've said a lot on the air, Mike, which is, for all of the winning Josh Allen's ever done in his life, you know, wherever that is, any game he's ever won, the loss against Kansas City has done more for him and his recognition and his credibility and his marketability and all that stuff and optimism for people, what he can be. The loss at Kansas City did more for him than any win he's ever had in his life. There's no doubt about that. Um, that game, the, the way he played, uh, the heavyweight battle, same field as Patrick Mahomes was just incredible. And I think people are now wondering, okay, like what's the next step? What can he do? Look what he did in the two playoff games. He set records. He set records for playoff performance and what he did in two playoff games total and the number of touchdowns and the proficiency and all that kind of stuff. And one of those games was in sub-zero temperatures, you know, against a, a Bill Belichick coach defense, right? I mean, yeah. pretty amazing. So I do think we're at that point. Now, wow. who knows? I mean, he might never reach, it'd be really hard to do what Patrick Mahomes did in that MVP season and all the numbers he put up. But I think people are expecting Josh to keep that bar pretty darn high where he's kept it and, you know, not have a dip. And that's, that's unfortunate when you, that's, you can't expect anyone to never have some, even last year, Mike, he had a little bit of a dip overall in his numbers, but they were so high, right? I mean, what are you supposed to do? I mean, it's hard to keep those numbers up, but I do think we're at that point where people are just wondering what else is he capable of? Wow. A couple more quick questions for WGR 550, Sal Capaccio. Um, let's move to, a, a very, I think, interesting situation now, especially because of the way the offseason has taken place. I mean, the Bills, I think most people would agree, they've kind of gone above and beyond what a lot of us thought would, you know, they would do in the offseason with free agency and trades and all that because of the salary cap. Now, by the same token, the salary cap is also a little overrated because you can always clear space in the NFL just by cutting people. Uh, whether or not that helps you or not down the road, you can still free up money. Just the topic of freeing up money. The Bills have done that, and they brought a ton of people in. But now we fast forward up here to this draft sale. Mm-hmm. It's it's it, This is going to be a pretty interesting one for the Bills. Can you hit me with some predictions? Do they trade up, trade down, stay where they are? Do they you know target that corner? Where do the Bills go in the draft throughout? Well, as I sit here today, you know they have less than $300,000 remaining in salary cap space which is wild to be that low. Mm. And you have to think about this, Mike, they have to make some moves because they have to sign draft picks. They're, yeah. they're going to need about three to 4 million to sign draft picks. Now they don't need that space until um, training camp starts. Draft picks can still take part in OTAs and mini camps and all those kinds of things, but eventually they're going to do that. So where does that come from? How do they shed that salary? How do they move money around? So I think a lot of that's going to be tied into how they approach the draft. Now, Brandon Bean, his philosophy has always been best available player. And that's true. And they will stick to it. I hate saying pigeonholing them into a, 
they're going to draft a corner or they're going to draft a wide receiver. I do think those are the two probably most likely spots. If the value matches up, there's no doubt. I think that those would be the spots that you look to and say, if the value matches up, they could definitely put a guy who can really has more of a chance to play right away. But I wouldn't discount them trying to take a swing up in the draft. There's been some rumors out there. I had Zig Fricasi on my show today. Zig is a host at Sirius XM. He actually reported he's been hearing the bills could be looking to move up and package in a veteran or two. How that looks, I'm not sure. People wonder about Tremaine Edmonds' salary going forward, where they stand with him. Stefan Diggs, with all the receivers getting paid, is he going to want to get paid? Are the Bills going to be willing to do that? Could that be something? I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if they take a swing. They've been super aggressive, and I think that Brandon Bean, he saw what the Rams did last year. He saw how they went all in and won a Super Bowl, and this organization wants to win a Super Bowl, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's their approach. Let's go all in. If there's a guy that they see in the top 10, and they feel they have to make a couple of moves to get up there because it might take more than one move to get from 25 to 10. I wouldn't be surprised. So my prediction is they'll still stick with their board. They're not going to go, you know, pigeonhole themselves. And also that they'll be looking to investigate any move, but they won't just do it haphazardly, of course. Final thing for you, and it's a Sabres, um, a Sabres note to end. Uh, what a night it was the other night. And, you know, in honoring Rick Jenneret, um, he goes up to the rafters right next to Dominic Hasek. Uh, I You were in the arena, I believe. We're, I don't know if you were covering yep. the game or as a fan, but, um, you know, just the, the place was full again. And it was exciting. And they won. And, you know, I got to tell you, I think they're kind of getting this thing right with the Sabres too, Sal. I really do. I mean, I like this group. They got a haul for Eichel. What was it like to be in the arena um, for that great event, all those unbelievable Sabres legends there as well, in honoring RJ. I mean, Rick Jenneret is a broadcast legend. He's he's a staple of the Sabres. 51 years, my goodness. What was it like? Take us through uh, that evening. And, I, you know, I watched last night. I watched finally the whole speech, and I, I, I lost it a little bit, man. I cried a little bit. Yeah, it was emotional being there. Um, I was in the press box. I would say a little bit of both as far as covering it or being a fan. I'm a fan of RJ, and um, I'm a colleague of RJ. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be there to support him on his big night, of course. I wanted to see you know, uh, what the arena was like, what the reception was like, especially knowing it was a sellout and it was going to be the first time you know, in a long time that we've seen that many people in the building and all the energy there. But I also wanted to write about it. I did at WGR550.com. And what I wrote about was how, you know, RJ has been doing this longer than I've been alive. And I mean, I, I just turned 49 yesterday. So, you know, I'm, um, I, I'm a guy that's, you know, his entire look at whether you're in your seventies or you're eight, like max, my son, you, RJ has called games for you, right. As you're, as you're a Sabres fan and me, I'm kind of in the sweet spot where my whole life, like growing up with him and, you know, hearing all those calls and whether it was a, a goal or a fight that he made sound special. Um, I will tell you that, you know, falling asleep at night with him in my ears was something that, you know, I, I wrote about, he was the last voice I heard a lot of nights, Mike, right? Not my, not my mom or dad. Hmm. It was a 10 o'clock game out West against Vancouver, LA. It's a non-school night. They're letting me listen to him on my Walkman. If it's a <laughs> Sabres game at seven 30 or eight o'clock at the odd back in the day, they played those games. Um, you go to bed to listen to the third period on a school night and fall asleep like that. And that's what he meant to me. just to being such a part of my life in that respect. And I just respect him so much as a person, too. You won't find a person who's ever been around RJ to say a bad word about him. He's just a great guy. He's funny. He's quick-witted. Um, he understands his role. And he loves hockey. He loves hockey. He loves the Sabres. We're going to miss him in Buffalo. But this is well-deserved. He's done it a long time. He's been a part of some great moments. 
I know I don't know if he'd ever say any regrets, but I just wish the Sabres would have won a Stanley Cup for yes. him while he was, you know, and they, they came close, of course, and they had no goal in 99, and they got really close a couple other times, but um, they had 75, they got to the Cup and lost. Would have been nice to have him call a Stanley Cup, but we can certainly live with a whole bunch of great memories of goal calls and fight calls and other calls. Yeah, what you bring up is just, you know, the beloved part is really so important, you know, and it's such a great point because – I was listening to the guys on Spittin' Chicklets the other day, and they were talking about Jack Edwards and, you know, how Boston Bruins fans, just like so many of them, just can't stand them. I've never met one Sabre fan, one person in Buffalo, one media person, any, you know, anywhere who said anything bad about Rick Jenneret and, and, and doesn't like Rick Jenneret. Do you have a favorite call of his? I would say it's May Day. It's like okay. it's the call that won, you know, like the goal call. Yeah. Um, you know, the best goal call. And there's so much about it that I love that I think it's beyond May Day. And if you really listen to that call, you know, we're call, of course we're talking about 1993, fourth game of the playoffs, Adams Division, semifinals, first round. And what made it special was people might not realize the Sabres had not been out of the first round for ten years. They had the longest drought in the league of getting to the second round at that point. And in 83, they lost to the Bruins on a Game 7 overtime winner by Brad Park. And I, I cried. I was 10 years old, and I bawled my eyes out. Brad Park scored. Sabres lost. Seventh game overtime season's over. Ten years later, they had not been out of the second, first round. They go, they go and they play the Bruins. They're up three games to nothing. They had lost, like, every game to the Bruins that year in the regular season. And it's it's this, you know, 13-goal scorer in the regular season, Brad May, right? It's so... Like, who would have thought? You can't script Brad May scoring, right? You know, Mike, like, who would have thought it would have been him? It's not like he had it in front of him, Mayday, Mayday. No. And he's the one that does it. But the other part is the crowd and the horn and, and, and just hearing all that. And then the the most underrated part to me was the best part. I get chills thinking about it. It was the very end of the call, and he says, oh, how do you spell second round? Right? I mean, that was just <laughs> ultimate, the cherry on top of that call for me. Oh, there's so many good ones. Sal Capaccio, at Sal Sports on Twitter. The Bills beat man and insider, sideline reporter, host of the Extra Point Show on WGR 550. Sal, incredible to have you. Thank you, as always. Uh, continued success. And, uh, man, I can't wait for this draft and for football to start. It's going to be a wild year. Thanks, bud. Anytime, brother. Take care. From one incredible guest to another, we bring him in from the Buffalo News. He's a sports enterprise reporter and columnist. You can get him on Twitter, at Jason Wolf. Jason, so much uh, to talk about here in Buffalo sports. Thanks for a few minutes. I'm doing well. Thanks. Let's start with this first. I mean, my listeners may not, may not know uh, what you do. I mean, the, the, the columnist part covers itself, but what is a sports enterprise reporter? What, what does that mean? So I write, uh, I typically write uh, longer features for the sports department. I've been at the Buffalo News for about four years now. In my first three bill seasons, I would write the Sunday centerpiece story every game day. So the big feature that would appear uh, and be centerpieced on the front page of uh, the sports section on Sundays. Um, in the off season, I'll do any number of other topics, whether that's chipping in on savers or college coverage. Um, I did a pretty large investigation into the Andy Dalton Foundation this past year and where Bill's fans' money went, how the for-profit management company behind it pocketed uh, about $100,000 of the 400-some thousand that Bill's fans donated. And that took 10 months to do, so that's not something that one of the Bill's beat writers is going to delve into. 
Um, and then, you know, throughout this season, I have been one of the two primary writers at the news that has kind of led our stadium coverage. And so uh, I focus primarily on the Bills. I focus primarily on uh, long-form features uh, and investigations. Um, but I can do pretty much – I can help cover – Pretty, any, pretty much any topic in the sports department. So there's a little bit of a general assignment bent to the job. It's fun. It's fun. I enjoy the variety. Um, and, you know, not having to churn out uh, a story or, or five every single day like, you know, some other reporters. The Before we get to all the Buffalo Bills craziness with the offseason, I wanted to throw in a, a Sabres thing here to start with Rick Jennerette Jenner the other night, honoring him. He goes up to the rafters. What an evening that was. Can you just kind of, you know, give your, you know, reaction to it? Um, I, got, I got a little emotional watching the speech for sure. Um, and uh, it was so well-deserved that he, that he, you know, that, that, that he got honored because of just his tenure and, and, and his impact. 51 years is just crazy. Um, what was your reaction to the ceremony? And then as a follow-up to that, too, two-part question, do, do you think that they're finally getting this thing right with the Sabres, with this current group of players well i'll start out by telling you that i am the wrong person to be asking about the savers <laughs> um i wasn't at that game I, I did follow the the coverage and saw the ceremony uh, our primary savers writers are obviously mike harrington and lance lysowski yeah they do a great job um so they would be the guys to, to talk to uh if you wanted to delve into the savers conversation uh that said um you know, I did watch the ceremony. I did uh, dive into the coverage on, on social media and in the paper and some other outlets. Um, I watched all the hype videos that, that the Sabres put together. Um, it was beautiful to see, honestly. And for a guy to be honored in that way, you know, typically... You see sports franchises retire numbers and celebrate great players. But um, have a guy like Rick honored with you know, his initials in the rafters with the microphone. I mean, what more could you want? As a member of the media, I mean, it's beautiful to see the fans recognize somebody that has poured his life and soul into this organization and who, in many respects, you know, has been the voice of the Sabres for generations. And so the outpouring, uh, it, it was remarkable. Uh, it really was. You know, Jack Eichel, you know, made that crack about how, oh, well, this is the loudest I've heard this building in years, you know, when he came earlier this season with Vegas. Um, by all accounts, everyone who I know who was there the building was even louder uh, for RJ, so that's incredible. Um, it would be nice if more people had the opportunity to get their hands on those commemorative banners that they were handing out. I understand that there were some fans who grabbed handfuls and left others you know, empty-handed, and that there was a limited amount for sale at, at the Wegmans around here. As somebody who's got like the Josh Allen little people sitting right here on my desk, <laughs> I, I can appreciate how much that uh, type of memorabilia would, would mean to fans. And so 
No, it, it was cool to see that outpouring of support for him. Uh, as far as whether the the Sabres are turning it around, I mean, you've got to love what you see under Granado, right? Um, it wasn't working out with some of the stars that have been here. And I'm using stars with air quotes, right, who have been here in, in recent seasons. And I think it was the right move to, to clean house and start of move sort of move on, right? Like move on to the next chapter. It wasn't working out and it was time to kind of, you know, clean up the roster. And uh, I really believe in the concept of wanting players who want to be here, right? Because if you're not happy playing for the Sabres, well, then they don't really need you, right? There's no doubt. Um, let's dive into the Bills. The wide receiver market has just been unbelievable and <laughs> the money that's getting thrown around it seems like one and then another and then another uh you know Devonte adams to the raiders tyree kill to the miami dolphins in that big trade just to name a few um what's next for stefan diggs in the wide receiver market uh, i think he's going to get paid i think the bills are going to find a way to pay him when they need to and he's as happy as he's been in his career he, he's got one of the best quarterbacks in the league he's part of one of the most powerful offenses in the league I mean, you look at at Von Miller, I don't know if you saw that phone call that he had with his father when he was deciding where to sign mm-hmm. and all of the reasons why you should stay in Buffalo. I don't see Stefan going anywhere, and they're going to take you. Drain and Bean's going to take care of him when the time comes. New stadium, uh, obviously, uh, has been pretty much... Uh... You know, signed, sealed, and delivered. Um, a lot of people upset in terms of, you know, where the, the money's coming from. Um, can you just assess what the stadium, I guess maybe the, the inside, is it fifth, about, what, 50,000 season tickets? There's going to be some boxes. Um, you know, t- take me through kind of the specifics of the stadium. The stadium, uh, well, first of all, it's going to be, it's going to have between 60 and 62,000 seats which is about 8,000 fewer than what the Ralph holds, what the Ralph seats. Um, the seating bowl is going to be of a similar size. And so by reducing the seats by about 8,000, it's going to allow uh, them to put larger seats in there, right? So people will have more room. Um, beyond that, they're going to have, or they're planning to have a standing room only party deck that will hold between three to 5,000 additional spectators. So uh, if they have 62,000 seats, 5,000 people on the party deck, that's 67,000 fans. It's really in line with what their historic attendance figures have been. And it gives them that that flexibility. Um, It increases, uh, you know, it increases the size. uh, It increases the comfort for fans, and, and it matches what their historic attendance figures have been. So a lot of people are saying, oh, well, they're building a smaller stadium. That's not really true. It's going to have a smaller capacity. The stadium itself, the footprint, is actually going to be 50% larger than the Ralph. So it's going to be a far larger venue. It's just going to have fewer seats in it. Um, beyond that, I'm happy to ask whatever, answer whatever specific questions you have if I can. So the amount of money that is publicly funded is, what, around $850 million? Is that the number? 850. It's okay. 650 from New York. Okay. Uh, it's 600 million from New York State. 250 million from Erie County. Okay. So that's an upfront construction cost. Over the life of the 30-year lease, it's 1.13 billion dollars in public money, with um, annual upkeep costs uh, 
being handled by the state. That amounts to about 13, 14 million a year, I believe. What do you think this team's going to do in the draft? Oh, God, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I can't help you out uh, with that at, at this point. I mean, in the first round, it's really hard to say. Um, I think they're in trouble in the secondary. They need a cornerback, right? Everybody points to, to Levi Wallace leaving, and so you're obviously down a number two starter. But, you know, Trey White suffered an ACL injury on Thanksgiving. Uh, that's pretty late in the season, and, and guys bounce back from that on different timelines. So I don't know what he's going to look like at the start of the season either, right? I, I don't, I don't personally think it's a given that Trey White is back for the start of the season, and, and he's all pro Trey White. You know what I mean? So uh, that's a glaring issue uh, as far as I'm concerned. Could they use help at running back? Sure. Could they use help on the offensive? and defensive lines always. Uh, I think they're in pretty good shape at wide receiver. Obviously, quarterback is a non-issue. Uh, I don't think linebacker is a is a great concern. Um, Tremaine Edmonds, uh, I'm not a Tremaine Edmonds hater in the least. Um, he's young, and I know that that's the, been the kind of drumbeat for years now, but he's young. He's got two Pro Bowl nods. He's got an incredible range and wingspan. He may not make the splash plays that we'd like to see, but I, I think there's still room for him to grow. Um, so beyond that, we're talking depth, right, which is what Brandon Bean likes. He wants to go best player available. And uh, aside from cornerback, I, I think that uh, they're in fairly good shape. So, I mean, push, you know, it, it, at this stage, if you're like, what are you going to, what is the Bills going to draft in the first round? And you put a gun to my head, I'm going to tell you a corner just because I think that's where they have the, the biggest problems right now. Final thing for you. When you watch Josh Allen play quarterback, what do you enjoy the most when you watch him play? He's exciting, right? I mean, he is the best player on the field at all times and is capable of taking over a game at any moment. Um, that's the most exciting thing. You know, there are, are quarterbacks who are game managers, and he's gotten much better at that aspect of it. You don't want to see him be reckless, and he's reined himself in really well, I think, over the years. Um, but he hasn't erased that from his game, and the coaching staff doesn't want him to. No, there's a reason why he's so special. It, it's the arms and the legs, and his ability to read defenses has really come along, and his decision-making has really come along. You don't see the old reckless Josh so much anymore. You see a guy who is in control of himself, who's in control of the offense, who more often than not knows what he's seeing you know, from a defense and is able to take advantage of that. The, the increase in accuracy has been tremendous no there there aren't very many people who saw that coming and, and with good reason right like most guys just don't improve their accuracy the way josh has been able to and so and he's he's developed into a bona fide nfl superstar quarterback i mean he's the franchise quarterback that everybody hoped that he could be and that's super exciting right no doubt about it you have to have the you have to have that position figured out 
uh, in this league. There's no question about that. Jason Wolf, Buffalo News, sports enterprise reporter and columnist at Jason Wolf on Twitter. Jason, this was outstanding. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. Yeah, sure thing. Happy to help you out, man. Huge thanks to Sal Capaccio of the WGR 550 platform and, of course, Jason Wolf from the Buffalo News. I'm Mike Lindsley. Make sure you follow us, Built in Buffalo Podcast Network, all over social media, including Twitter, at builtinbuffalo underscore. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Mike L Sports as well. Thanks for listening to the Pandemonium Podcast. And as I always tell you, enjoy the games. Mm-hmm.